0: hey guys welcome to yet another episode of the empty sands podcast my name is reward as usual and i'm joined today by two guests i have casey and i have Somto. casey how's it going It's going good,
1: Ward. Thanks for having me on the podcast today.
0: Welcome. So, so this isn't your first time, but glad to have you here again.
2: Yeah, it's always good to record a podcast. I get to ramble about football, so let's get
0: it. Cool, cool, cool. Um, So, Casey, how's your game week
1: six? Oh, man. In one word, I would say horrendous. Um, I had like a total... Point of like thirty nine, which was uh, a serious wow. drastic um, re- reduction from the previous game week. I had like a sixty five from game week uh, five, then this last game week I had just thirty nine, so it wasn't too good.
0: I thought, I thought, I thought it
1: was just me, but
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: how's yours going?
2: I have, I have thirty nine points as well. But looking on the bright side i'm still in the top 20 percent in the world so no problem oh, Wow! wow. <laughs> <laughs> i mean that doesn't mean anything you have 10 billion people playing no. right <laughs> i like uh
1: i like the statistic class right there uh but well, that's still that's still uh you know that's still commendable to be honest yeah i don't know what position i'm in that like, because i know i'm dropped in most of my leagues over the past, you know, two, three game weeks. I you know, I was I was eight K um
0: I think in game week three. Then I made a silly decision, I took out Haaland and the next two game weeks I dropped to four million. So story have you put him back? Yeah I had to wild card in <laughs> week five <laughs> No, I think I well I carded in game six and I got him back but he only scored one goal so <laughs> And guess what? I took out Tony for Haaland
2: Oh I, I I think I saw that in the group chat. Yeah I took <laughs> out Tony for Haaland.
1: <laughs> I think um I think the FPL gods are blessing you No, love, it's just you know when it when it <laughs> rains. <laughs>
0: I can't even figure it out. Um, well, let's move on with the show. Speaking about refs, they've been really shitty this season. What's what's the deal with all these dodgy VAR calls, Casey?
1: Well, in my opinion, I feel like, you know, again, it's that whole it's that whole thinking of, you know, VAR is still a tool. You know, it's a great tool that helps the officials to basically reanalyze, you know, decisions that happen in a you know the twinkle of an eye. But it's still a tool and, you know, being used by humans. So there's also that human error that still happens. And I feel that like, you know, especially for, again, even for the Manchester United Arsenal game, and I'm a Manchester United fan, I thought that Odegaard goal was, was meant to be legit. But, you know, the ref saw it and he felt like, you know, it was fouled uh, in the process. So it's I feel like it's still the same issue of, like, you know, the human error aspect is basically undermining the great advantages of VAR.
0: Sumto, do you share the same sentiments? Like, is it so hard to act for consistency from this ref?
2: I share a lot of the same sentiments as Kelechi because I feel like Premier League refs do this thing where they want to be the talking point at the end of a football game. And I always tell people that the sign of a good referee is when at the end of the game, people are talking about the actual football and not the referee. The referee should try as much as possible to be inconspicuous course, in during the game. He shouldn't try to put himself in the headlines like for example in the Man United Arsenal game, even though some calls were were 50-50. I don't think any most Arsenal fans that don't have any bias, we would have a lot to say about the referee because we could see that the game was decided on the pitch. The Odigard goal, whatever you want to say, man, you won by two clear goals. But in the Chelsea um, West Ham game, for example, the the only reason I can understand for the referee and the VAR, whoever it was, to cancel Connet's goal was because he just wanted to be talking points. Like, that's unacceptable. We watched Champions we watched Champions League today and yesterday, and everything went smoothly. We've come to the end of the classes and nobody's talking about VAR or referees. That's the way it should be. Premier League has a lot to learn in that regard.
0: Well, for one, I think, and this is not because I'm a Chelsea fan, but. I think the, the Konego shouldn't have stood, so I think the referee got that one right, but moving on. Um, speaking about headlines, almost Tocco is gone. Um, what are your thoughts about this Casey, and how does this affect um, Chelsea assets in FPL moving forward?
1: Yeah, so that was a surprise to me this morning because one of my colleagues, he's a big Chelsea fan, and he just walked up to me around 8 a.m. this morning and said, you know, Chelsea being Chelsea, and I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, if I had choo this morning. Uh, Like I said, it was shocking. I didn't really expect that. He hasn't had a great start to the season. Also, you know, towards the tail end of last season, so things didn't go well. I think Chelsea went to two finals and they didn't win any any cup uh, towards the tail end of the season. So, you know, to be honest, it's just given a lot of uh, similar vibes to how, you know, Abramovich handled things in the club. But I feel like this one was very, very reactionary and very left field, like unexpected. So I don't think it's a good, or it was a good decision by management. And in terms of, you know, affecting Chelsea in the long run, I always give this similar, you know, analogy with Manchester United. I feel like the issue that Manchester United had was inconsistency with the managers changes in you know transfer policies, you know, backing different managers with different transfer, you know, bounties, And those manager's buying players, they're not having enough time to develop those players or you know instill what you want to instill, then you get sacked. So my question here is basically, after all the money that Chelsea spent this transfer window, is the new manager going to be, you know, expected to, you know, work with the same set of players or within one year. Does he have to now buy another set of players that he also now has a short time frame to make them play the way he wants them to play?
0: Interesting. Um, so, also, do you have Cucorella in your team? <laughs> and if you do, yeah, you have... I have oh, That's Awesome. <laughs> I picked, I picked the perfect person. <laughs> um, how do you think Kokorela feels going to training? And okay, the aroma is that it's Grand Potter that's going to replace Tuko, right? Um, how does this affect? Yeah. How does this affect you going forward in FPL? Well,
2: I think in general, um, Chelsea defenders, especially their wing backs, are going to see a massive drop off in their points because. Graham Potter is probably going to utilize the back four with the Chelsea team. But that's left to be seen. It's still up in the air because, I mean, he used the back four and the back three at Brighton as well. But this season, he's been mostly playing a back four. And I think he would tend towards that because of the better quality of players at his disposal at Chelsea. But. In terms of the relationship between Kukurela and Potter, I don't think it was anything personal between both of them when Kukurela was leaving Brighton for Chelsea. I mean, it's, for the same reasons Kukurela left; those are the same reasons why Potter is leaving now. Everybody knows that going to Chelsea is like leaving a job for a for a for a job that's going to pay you double what you were earning, and I mean. You can't hold someone back from that, except you're going to pay up. So, I don't think there will be anything personal. now. I think they will both put their heads down and get to it. I think that's how it's going to be. Thanks. Um, So, Casey,
0: let's speak about um, the template. It looks like the template is shifting from big at back to big at the front. Because just last game week as well, we saw Cancelo, Trent, Robertson. Robertson even got benched. Um, James, Cocorella, they all blanked, right? So, do you think this template is shifting to big at the front now?
1: That's a great question. And um, I didn't do any homework for this episode, but I was thinking like, you know, in terms of at this stage of the season, and last as like last season, the same stage, I wanted to know how many teams, let's say, had, you know, clean sheets after, you know, six, seven games because what you're saying is actually they, you know, it's a great point. It's like back last year, you know, you could pick, you know, Trent or Cancelo, and you know, let's say, in a 10-game stretch, if you get like five clean sheets and any additional attacking um, points they might get for you. So that was a decent enough investment. But this season, I don't think I've seen any, you know, any big team, you know, top six team, for example, basically having a good steady run of clean sheets. So it's like, are you gonna get value in spending like seven million on a, you know, top six defender to while you can basically try and counteract that by basically spending more money on the forwards? Because as we can tell, you know, this season has been a season of forwards, just from Haaland to basically Jesus and even Kane has even pulled his here. So in terms of the question, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good trend that we can kind of observe and see maybe after game with 10 and see, okay, let's look at the data and say, well, last season, after 10 games, you know, we had this number of teams having this number of clean screen sheets compared to this season. But I am also trying to lean towards just keeping only one top six, you know, good defender like a Cancelo. Then I'll try and spend more resources up front.
0: Tomto, do you share same sentiments?
2: Um, I would say I share the majority of it, but, I mean, football is changing. We saw seems like Liverpool and Man City go big in the summer window, spending hundreds of millions on strikers, when for the past five to ten years in football, we have been observing false nines, leading the line. But then again, the cycle has changed again. Just like when Conte came to Chelsea in 2015 with the old back three. And it was like a new thing. But if you go way back down the line in the 90s and the 80s, the back three was a very, very popular formation for most Italian teams. And the Serie A was like the best league in the world at the time. So I think we're well, was having a cyclical shift again, because and with this cyclical shift also comes changes in fantasy, penalty point trends. So these strikers are there to score goals. So if they are scoring goals, defenders are conceding. So that means only one thing, you have to tilt. So I mean, with Trent this season, for example, there has not been value for money at all. Liverpool are keeping clean sheets. Trent isn't doing much offensively. And then um, the Napoli Champions League game, Liverpool played today, it was absolutely horrendous. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm right now, I'm in the process of removing all Liverpool players from my fantasy team. That's how bad it is right now. Mm-hmm.
1: That sounds drastic.
2: <laughs> Funny
0: thing is, I actually considered that during my wildcard, I took out Trent and um, Robertson. So I have just Salah now. But speaking about Salah, I think I made the wrong decision. I really should have taken him out. What, Casey? What do we do with Salah? Because I'm,
1: I'm really not happy. To I think that's the 11 million, 11. Point something billion dollar question. I, <laughs> I have also been, I've also been a uh, strong-headed. You know, because everybody knows this. If you played the FPL for the last three, four years, you know, you taking out Salah from your team—that's, you know, <laughs> that's a big risk. You're doing that to your own detriment. But I feel like, I don't know. Uh, after today's defeat, like Somtou said, like I feel like Liverpool have to give a response. You know, Klopp will expect a response from his players. Uh, they're playing Wolves on, uh, I think it's on Saturday, and it's at home. So, Wolves is also a very, you know, defensively well-rounded team. For some reason, and this is my contrarian belief, for some reason, I feel like maybe Salah might deliver this week. If Salah does not deliver this way, I'm going to can him. And I just feel like, you know, the money I'm spending on Salah right there, I can definitely get like a Diaz who can give me another option for that Liverpool attack. And I can use that point maybe across my midfield or, like we discussed earlier, on other strikers.
0: So, so Wolves have just considered four goals this season, right, despite their, their position on the table. And right after Wolves, Liverpool face Chelsea, Brighton, Arsenal, Man City. Is that that run? Does it look like? Is it worth keeping Salah for that run? Because this guy is freaking thirty million. Like, why? why Yeah,
2: that's. Yeah, that's why I'm removing all Liverpool players. Like, if I'm keeping any one of them, it's going to be Luis Diaz because I'm like, okay, maybe they could see an uptick. Inform over the next few weeks. I mean, like Richie said, they want to respond to their defeat today. But at the same time, I don't think it's worth it having more than one Liverpool asset at this point, especially with the tough run of games coming up. So it's just it's just a matter of luck right now to pick the best assets in this upcoming run of games that they have. But for me now, I had three Liverpool players in my team. I had Salah, I had Diaz, and I had Alexander. But I mean they are not giving me value for money at all and I need to move on. I mean if they respond later in the game, I can always get them back in. But right now, it's not it at all. Like I watched their game today and they are not they are not clicking. There's something wrong there.
1: I also ask like another option there it's like um, I know Jota came back this weekend but I didn't watch today's game that's also you know especially if you look at last season's form he had if Jota comes back and you know he gets to that level of you know intensity slash play he had last season he's also another good option for the Liverpool
2: attack yeah. yeah he's another good option but I think the injury is still trying to ramp up because Yeah, like you could tell, you could tell from the game today that it's not 100% match fit at all. And I think the way club sets up his team right now this season, Salah and Diaz speak themselves, so it's literally just one position for Femino, Nunes, and Jota. And I think over the next five game weeks, I think um, Nunes and Femino have more of a chance to stake a claim for that position. Wow, Jota will probably have to make do with appearances from the bench.
0: Interesting. So, let's, yeah, say, great point. let's say we sell Salah, right? So, we have 13 million. That opens up, like, a spot for that third striker, right? Since we're going big at the front these days. And there has been... Exactly. Yeah, three strikers have been Really catching the eye of Leeds. There's Mitrovic, Ivan Toni, and Isak of Newcastle. Um, so let's see we're to go for one of them. Who would you go for, Casey?
1: Um I I think Tony, you know, just because he has had uh the pedigree, and I'm not gonna be like pedigree, I just mean like over the last year and just even the season two, he's shown himself to be a decent Premier League striker. Uh, a lot of the attacks for Brentford, kind of, you know, he's he's always in the mix. Like, he, he's always out and about. He puts himself in those, you know, positions to get those chances. So I would say him yeah, just because of those two factors. Like, you know, Brentford is still, um, you know, very revolved. The attacking is revolving around him and because of his pedigree. A close second would be Mitrovic, obviously. But I just, I always have that fear of Mitrovic, just, you know, that X factor, there's always... Some level of unpredictability that will come in with him, and sometimes he dips in form, and sometimes you know his head just touches, and he does some crazy stuff on the pitch. So, in terms of a more um, conservative, easy pick, I'll go with Tony.
0: So, sometimes I went with Mitrovic because I think the guy is just on fire, and he can he scores against everybody. Um, so, who would you go with?
2: Sometimes uh, out of that tree, I'll actually go with this sack because Newcastle's next slate of games I expect them to like explode this is because of two things we know Eddie Howe favors an attacking style of play and these first few games they've had were just him trying to fine-tune some things in his team in my own opinion but I also think that has been dealt a bad hand with injuries, to say Max Mann and some others. But I think over the next few game weeks, because I know Callum Wilson is injured. I don't know when he's going to be back. But if he's injured, for the most part, I think it's a chance to actually explode. Because the next few games are against Bournemouth, which I feel is one of the two worst teams in the league right now. And then there's also a game against Fulham, I just see a lot of goals in their games over the next few weeks, so I'll go for Isak. And actually, following Isak, I'll go for Mitrovic before Tony because I've observed something with Tony. He's always, he plays well all the time, like he's the talisman of that Brentford team, but him playing well doesn't necessarily translate to fantasy points yeah. because he'll have a really good game, but it won't translate because he didn't score or he didn't assist.
0: Or well, you can actually watch.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, he has this. He gives, me hurricane. He gives me
0: hurricane vibes.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and he's playing in a worse team. So, where Hurricane might still a to go. Tony will not a go because of the quality of players he's playing alongside. But, for me, he tends to fall into that hole of, oh, let me just make sure all my teammates are involved. He puts his personal aspirations to the side. So that's why I observed him last season. And he would just come one game and explode. He would score three goals or four goals or whatever. But that's just the way he is. So based on all this, I'll go for Isaac right now. I know a lot of people won't be favouring him. And it's going to prove to be a differential over the next few weeks.
0: Speaking about players exploding, Marcus Rashford he stole the show in game week six. He recorded his best fPR return yet, an 18-point haul, um, surpassing his previous high of 16 points back then in 2015-2016 season. In his debut against Arsenal, <laughs> um, do you think he's the? A... He
1: likes Arsenal.
0: <laughs> Obviously, you think he's the standout
1: going forward, Casey? Uh, the easy answer is yes. And what I say easy is like, you know, I'm a Manchester United fan. I can tell you that, like, yes, this is a great run of form. But there's still a lot of moving parts in that team. There's still a lot of unknowns, you know. Ten Hag is still, you know, I feel like he's even still trying to decide his best 11. to still trying to find out, you know, fine-tune things. And, uh, and just, you know, basically have this player playing the way he wants. But in terms of, for now, I would say yes. In, in the sense, like I feel like his value, and I, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think he's more than nine point something. So, in terms of uh, of an entrance, for and I think he's still a midfielder, based uh, on last season's classification. So, he might be a good midfield option, and amongst the lot there in, in United, I'll say yes. He's definitely going to give you. He's going to have more chances, and there's going to be more involvement than let's say Bruno or a um, Ericsson. So I'll say, like I said, the easy answer, I'll say yes.
0: Okay. So Somton, Rashford is um, just 15% on and he's 6.5. Do you have him in your, in your team?
2: No, um, I don't have him in my team right now, but it's definitely my plans. I think it's a standard asset for Man United, just based off his price of 6.5 million and his position as a midfielder. And I see he's it is he's actually the top most striker for Man United right now. Cause I envision a trio of um, Sancho, Rashford, and Anthony leading the line for United, and Rashford is at the center of those three. So, based on this, I mean, a six point five million midfielder playing number nine, I mean, is a no-brainer. Cause for that price and that and those. And those metrics, you just have to, you have to have him in your team, even if it's just as a flyer. So, Rashford is the standard asset for me, based on all those things. Yeah.
0: Um, so let's talk about Holland, Casey. Um, I know last season, and just before before the Nations Cup, right, everybody had Salah as former captain. It was You could just cruise through FPL and keep Salah as your captain. Is Haaland getting to that that level where we could just leave the captain, band on him throughout the rest of the season?
1: I think you only really know my answer because, you know, I've been stung by this Haaland uh, foolishness that I've been doing over the season. I have only selected him once. Well, I think the answer is yes. Uh, in terms of just what he's done and the way you know Guardiola wants that team to play, and it, it's so funny. Like uh, I, I saw a stat about the number of touches he has per game or touches per goal, and it's just ridiculous. So I would say I would say yes. He he has deserved that right to be the permanent captain. The only caveat that I might add there is, that, like we all know how Guardiola is when he gets to that. He's crazy rotation mood but for some reason you know surprisingly he hasn't really rotated Haaland as much as a lot of people have expected Uh, but I would just say yes he is the standout player of the season he is the standout you know captain choice so he definitely deserves that you know permanent captain
0: so I think Haaland is going to blow away the of course the the goal scoring record this season and probably the um, points tally in FPL so if he's going to do all that why not just stick the armband on him and forget about it
2: yeah my armband is already stuck on him I'm not I don't see myself I don't see myself it from him for the rest of the season but yeah like we know Gadjula is fond of rotating like a mad person but some players are above that and I think Alan is going to rise to that level where Guardiola cannot be playing around with his selections when it comes to Alan. That is because I mean, before the season started, Guardiola was saying stuff to the tune of "Oh, he's going to rest Alan for Alvarez at certain moments." But I mean, we all have seen he's trying to play them together right now because at the end of the day, he has to find minutes for Julian Alvarez and. He has seen that Haaland's performances are so good that he cannot switch them. He has to play them together. So I think that's, that should show people that Haaland is quickly rising to that level where he picks himself, just like De Bruyne used to pick himself when he was much fit a few years ago. So I think you're in a stiff position if you just leave your armband on Haaland.
1: Yeah. Um, I would like to add to what Santa just said there. And I feel like one of the reasons that maybe Wadula is not rotating him that much is because, you know, Norway is not going to the World Cup. So, in in, in terms of, you know, uh, in in American sports, they call it game management. It's like you don't really need to game manage him that much Um, because you can play him as much as you want before the break in November for the World Cup then he has maybe a month and a half or, you know, two months, then you get him back again in next year and he'll still be relatively refreshed. Then next year when things get, you know, thick in because of the Champions League and all the Cups that'll be going on, you might not have that, you know, that fear of rotation. But towards Songto's point, I feel like yeah, as in, like I said, it's just me. I was just being the contrarian. I was just basically thinking Guadule was going to rotate him a lot. But Guadule proved me wrong. So I feel like, yeah, for the next two months at least, I don't see uh, a big rotation problem for Haaland. Fingers crossed. um Let's jump to
0: Arsenal. Um, I started the season with three Arsenal assets, like most people did. Um, but of late, I don't think that's a good idea going forward. Do you think it's time to jump off Arsenal assets? Uh
1: I still have Jesus on my team, um, and uh, I, I also feel like uh, Zinchenko. You know, similar to the Rashford uh, argument, kind of, he's a for his position and the way Ateta wants him to play. I feel like he's a very, very good addition defensively. As if Arsenal gets the clean sheet and the way he gets involved, you can also get uh, an attacking um, point or attacking points from him. So I would say, I would say keeping one Arsenal player on your team is, is fine. You know, either it's, either it's Jesus or Saka, or you want to go defensive um, Zinchenko. Um, in terms of having three, I, w- I would I would I would shy from it. But I, I think at least one of those three players. Um, can't give you a decent you know, return on your on your investment.
0: Some those same
2: sentiments? Um yeah, um I don't think you should have been having three assets from Arsenal. I mean, over the past three seasons on FPL, I felt like the only team is that that deserved to have three assets in my FPL team were City and Liverpool. So I think until a team is challenging for the title, you shouldn't have three assets. And I think also, should, people should avoid having Arsenal defenders or goalkeepers in their team until until party is back from injury because the clean sheets are not going to be there. The team is very shaky defensively. The way they are tailored to play, they want to dominate possession. But that also means that you must have a very serious holding midfielder that can sense danger before danger actually comes. And without Party, there's no one on the team that can do that. So, till Party gets back, he could have Jesus and one on midfielder. Martinelli has been really good this season. Bodyguard is going to come on and off like a light bulb because that's what he it does. He's going to come, do 16 points, do 10 points, and then go off for five game weeks. But I think Martinelli is showing some consistency this season. So if you want to be on the safest side, just have two acts now assets and preferably midfielders and attack and forwards. No defenders until party is back. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Um so now we're at my favorite part of the show, Captain C. So just give me a name. Casey, who are you captaining this game week? Alan. Some I'm Captain Ireland as well. <laughs> let's be very triple show. as <laughs> well. <laughs> that
1: was so easy. Yeah, let's not waste time, like, because we already know.
0: Right, there's no, I don't see any competition anywhere else, so just Ireland. All right, and with that, we've come to the end of the show today. Thanks to our guests, Casey and Soto. You guys were amazing. Um, let's do this again sometime. For our listeners do like, subscribe, listen to our show, to our content on any platform you choose. Um, we are at the empty stands on Twitter. Send your questions, your comments, and let's have banter. Here's wishing your green arrow in Game Week 7. Cheers guys.
1: Cheers. Cheers all.